Oh, good morning, church, and welcome. It is great to see you this morning. Am I on? Am I on? Is that all right? Can you hear me? Yeah? All right. Welcome to seventh. <laughs> welcome to second service. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. If one of the guys next to you drifts off during service this morning, just understand a bunch of us went to men's conference. We're all fried. Stayed up until 1 o'clock in the morning playing poker because, you know, that's just what we do. There was no money involved, but uh, there was a lot of shame and embarrassment that happened in the middle of that. And I know it would just bless you to know that your pastor was one of the last five guys left at the table, so you know that I have those skills, uh, but then I lost it all, so uh, somebody else took a trophy. But it's good to be with you. Uh, welcome to the Lord's house this morning. And isn't it amazing and fun to watch that children's building go up next door? And this week, they're going to start putting walls up, if you can imagine, and they're just zipping right along. And you know, my heart gets so full every time I, I kind of see the progress because we are so blessed as a church. So many people have given faithfully for so long that it's enabled this to happen without debt or anything like that. And it's just amazing. It makes me want to be part of making sure that goes forward. So... Um, gosh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for your, your generosity in giving. It's just an amazing thing. Before we know it, we're going to have two entrances to the parking lot and a whole bunch more parking. Somebody say amen about that. I mean, good night, right? Because we have third world problems, first world problems, right, uh, where we are. Hey, uh, a couple of quick announcements this morning, a couple of things to draw your attention to. One is that next Sunday afternoon, after third service will be uh, our every other month new families get together lunch. So if you're new at MRCC, you want to meet some people, you want to make some connections, that's what this is all about. Every two months we do this. Um, it'll be happening right here in town after third service. It's a lunch. We do it at somebody's house because it's a lot more you know homey when you do it that way. So next week when you come, you'll see an address in the bulletin and you're invited. It's always a great time together. It's always cool friendships that are made. So next Sunday afternoon, uh, Memorial Day Sunday, we will have that new family's lunch. And then two Sundays from today, that's the 4th of June, will be ladies a, uh, a late night, well not late night, but an evening, Sunday evening worship get together for ladies only. This is a, a vision that God placed on the heart of some of our ladies to have a ladies only worship night. I kind of think it's because the guys can't sing, but maybe it's more spiritual than that. Um, and it's going to happen that evening. You're invited. Uh, bring a friend. Bring a neighbor. It'll be a terrific time. By the way, uh, also huge thanks. Uh, yesterday, more than 100 ladies in here at Spring Tea and a whole bunch of people serving to make that happen. Can we appreciate those who gave up their Saturday to serve the ladies? Yeah, that was very cool. Really neat stuff. You know, every time you see one of us up front leading, know that the real heroes are the ones who are doing the work behind the scenes. Amen. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first, which means I'm coming in dead last, baby. But it'll be good. It'll be good. And thanks to them. Um, also in the, t in the foyer, you'll see a table for our fall missions trip. And if you feel that God may be calling you to be a part of our next missions outreach, that's going to be happening this fall. Yeah, there's a table out there in Costa Rica where you can find out about what's going to be happening. Apply to be part of that. Pray about that. If the Lord is calling you, he'll make a way for that to happen. So the fall missions 
trip is going on out there. And then in last one is that in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating our high school seniors graduating. And we want to make sure that we don't miss anyone. And so we're doing our best calls, emails, all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't been contacted, you have a, a grandchild or a son or daughter that is a graduating senior this year, we're asking you, hey, would you provide us two pictures, one when they were young, a baby, a toddler, and then one from today so that we can see that miracle that God has done in their lives. And uh, you can contact the church office and drop that off. You can uh, send it by email to the church office. You can send it to Tyler at mrccnow.org, our youth pastor. There's a lot of ways to get that picture to us, but we, we would really want to include uh, your son or daughter, uh, grandson, granddaughter in that uh, coming up in just a few weeks. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something unusual and special this morning in just a moment, and that's because we have a very special guest with us this morning. You may be aware that every Sunday when we give as a church, part of what we give goes to support our many career missionaries in the Assemblies of God and a few outside of the Assemblies of God. And and uh, we are privileged to be able to be part of that. I think our count right now is 29 missionaries that we support on a monthly basis, neat stuff. And this morning we have one of those missionary teams with us. And let's understand, we're talking about people who have set aside their lives here with all the privileges and opportunities that we enjoy and have said, God, yes, you can send me anywhere in the world and I will spend the rest of my life serving you there. That's how badly I want to serve you. And so I'm going to invite Weston Stover, who's a missionary in Malawi, formerly in Mozambique. They're right next door, if you know that. They've been on the, serving on the field for almost 10 years. We have a little bit of a connection going back to Moscow back in the day. But we call our missionaries the princes of our fellowship. And church, nobody's more special. Would you stand and applaud as one of our missionaries come to the, to the, the platform this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. Be seated, please. Be seated. Thank you. It's humbling. It really is. So, <clears throat> Thanks for having us, Pastor Greg. Thanks for having us back in. It's been a while since we've been here. I think we were here last in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So it's good to be back. I mean, I'm just one of the many Westons in Enumclaw. And um, uh, my wife, Allison, is here. She's in the very back of the room there today. And uh, it's her birthday today, so we're celebrating that. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Me back on there. Come on, church. We know how to do this. Happy birthday to you. Stand up, Allison. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Allison. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, she's turning 18 today, so we're excited about that. And uh, <clears throat> we have our two daughters here. Leona is uh, our, almost five. She turns five next week, our redhead. And uh, she's the one that's always willing to get rid of us and go to ch kids' church. And then Millie uh, never gets rid of us. She always comes to a grown-up church. She thinks she's older than she is. So she's back there, too. And she's a whopping three years old. And, uh, yeah, all four of us are, are enjoying being missionaries. But uh, we just finished our second term in Africa, and uh, it's a joy to live in Africa. It's not just sacrifice. Uh, there's a lot of just awesome things that we get to be a part of there uh, that make our life rich. 
Um, but there's a lot of subtle nuances to living there that we don't get to experience when we come back here. And so uh, we miss those things in particular a lot. But it has been good to be back. Uh, we came back in August, and we're hoping to head back out this August. Um, and it's been a, a joy to be back stateside for a while, have the kids get to spend some time getting to really know their grandparents and other relatives and, and um, spending the holidays here. We got, they're really enjoying playgrounds. Um, although they've been really annoyed lately at how hot the slides have been. So thank you for this 60-degree day. But, um, and then Allison and I have enjoyed uh, Costco and things like that. So <laughs> we love America, too. But uh, it's been a joy to be back. I don't know if I would, I would characterize America in general as a joyful place. You guys are wonderful. You're not, you know, just America. You are, you are all the joy in America in one room, basically. But as a society, I think that maybe... Um, that's not the best word to describe us right now. And we've gone through a lot of heavy things over the last few years. I mean, just since we left this soil last in 2019, uh, there have been a lot of divisive issues that have taken place here. And uh, you've gone through it step by step, so maybe you don't see it like we do as kind of one big block of time. Um, but the pandemic, of course, is just one thing. And then there was the, the presidential impeachment and the presidential election processes, which just create a whole bunch of nasty feelings. And then uh, when we left, George Floyd was still alive. And when we left, there was no war in Ukraine. There was no January 6th committee. Roe versus Wade had not been overturned. And so it's been heavy. You guys have gone through a lot. And I don't know, but I think sometimes we need a little bit of levity in life. Do you agree? Okay. So are you okay if we have some fun today? Okay, sweet. <laughs> Get a fun at church. That's weird. Anyway, one of my not-so-serious hobbies is uh, collecting photos of unintentionally humorous African signage. <clears throat> and uh, we're missionaries to Malawi, and we partner with the Malawi Assemblies of God. Uh, and I tell you that because um, Malawi is nicknamed the Warm Heart of Africa. And it's a good nickname. It describes it well. Uh, but I'm going to rebrand it as the land of unfortunate abbreviations. Because as you drive around and you see our partner churches... <laughs> You often come across these signs. And it was becoming such a problem that the national church leadership actually had to send out a memo to all the pastors. They're like, guys, please stop abbreviating your signs. Like, we know we're not the Baptists, so we have a long name. We understand that, right? But, but it doesn't mean what you think it means. And so... Being Africa and paint's expensive and churches don't have a lot, they weren't going to go paint their signs again. So uh, what they did to solve the problem was just to write Embleys in underneath, which did not fix anything. And so you can still see it as you drive around today, much to my joy and happiness. But the truth is that I think you can learn a lot about a culture by paying attention to its signs. And so as we go along today, I'm going to show you some more pictures of my favorites. Uh, and hopefully you'll laugh but hopefully they'll also give you some insight into what life in Malawi is like and why we're passionate about being there and excited for the future. Um, but I think something that we have seen here in this country more and more over the past few years is that we Americans have a, a bit of a nasty habit of demanding that everybody else look like us and think like us and act like us, right? And uh, the first service, they wouldn't admit to that. But you guys, I saw some head nods. So thank you for being in touch with reality. Um, but we, we don't like this ac accusation or this label. And so we like have these, these phrases built into our, 
our modern vernacular, right, where we say things like, you do you, which we don't mean, okay? We don't mean that. What we mean is, you do you as long as I like you. But if I don't like you, please don't do you. Like, do somebody else, okay? Preferably me. And so we tout diversity, but we cherish homogeneity, right? And the irony is, of course, that God did not create humanity to be homogenous. And that's it's not a political statement. It's just the reality, right? He is the most creative mind in all of existence. And not only did he create humanity, our human race, uh, countless variations with inside of our human race, but I think he actually likes them. And I think he actually intends that everybody would have the opportunity to be part of his family without having to conform in order to get in. And so many of the things that make us different are actually a beautiful part of God's plan. And if we want to bring heaven to earth, and that's our mandate, if we want to bring heaven to earth, then we need to learn how to love our fellow man and, and specifically how to stand with him or her before the throne of the one who gave us our differences. Not just worry about what each other needs to change, right? And so uh, a silly example of, of learning to live with humanity's differences from our context is that uh, the official national language of Malawi is English, uh, but it's not widely spoken. It's the most widely spoken language is a tribal language called Chichewa, and Chichewa, fortunately, shares much of the same alphabet with English. There are a few grammatical differences, one of them being that uh, the letter R and the letter L are interchangeable. And so you can use them for each other whenever you want, and if you don't want to, you don't have to. And that carries over into their use of the English language, of course, and it can get a little bit confusing, uh, especially when you run across businesses like this one. This is an agricultural wholesale shop. Um, but if you stick to your grammar guns and you're like, an R is an R and an L is an L, no matter where in the world you are, you're going to throw some serious shade on these people, okay? Just trying to eke out a living. And so we laugh because misunderstanding that's rooted in, in cultural ignorance, we get that, that's common. Uh, but it's not just a cross-cultural problem. It's very present here in our own society, a society that's made up of increasingly divergent cultures. And I'm not talking about ethnic ones, I'm talking about ideological cultures. And it's very possible that we're living uh, in a time of more differing worldviews than maybe we've ever seen before on planet Earth. And uh, in an attempt just to wrap our minds around all of this, like our brains just start classifying. They have to, right? And so we tend to lump people into groups, and then we create kind of these, these catch-all solutions, catch-all ways of taking care of this group, you know, or dealing with that group. The funny thing is people have never wanted to be lumped together less than they do now. And whether that's right or wrong, that's not really the question. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is do we do the hard work of seeking to understand the real issues, the real desires and fears at the root of the problems we see? And do we do the hard work of learning to ask questions and to listen without already having our agenda in place? And I think we can confidently say most often, the answer is no, because it is a whole lot more uh, convenient to prescribe medication than it is to diagnose an illness. And this has been the case in Africa for a long time. For centuries now, uh, the outside world has looked upon Africa with a lot of pity and a desire to, to fix Africa's problems 
we bring in outside solutions, but the solutions don't really get to the root of the culture, and they have often ended up creating more problems. And so we've created things like dependency and new opportunities for corruption. And so we've seen that the one-size-fits-all approach to diplomacy and to charity and to economic development, it oftentimes doesn't work very well and sometimes backfires tremendously. Now, thankfully, God, he doesn't take a, a one-size-fits-all approach with us, right? And we see this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus tells us that God cares for us intimately, and he, and he loves us personally, and, and he says it this way. He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, which is not super impressive for everybody here. But many of you have lots of hairs on your head, okay? He knows every single one of them. So what? So, he says, don't be afraid. Like, what's Jesus getting at? He's saying, God has looked into your eyes. He's aware of your cares. He's heard the cries of your heart. He's registered your tears. He knows you better than you know you because you're valuable. And so he, he handcrafts his love. He, he customizes it to you. And I think we tend to think that because uh, God loves all people equally, that he loves us all the same. Not true, okay? I have two little girls, and uh, it's Millie in the back, and she loves getting tossed around. And so if I want to show her that I love her, I can just tackle her. I can roughhouse with her. I can throw over my shoulder like a continental soldier. And she will laugh and laugh and laugh, and she'll be like, more, Daddy, more. And I go do the same thing with Leona, and, like, she just hates it, right? She, like, freezes up or loses control of her body and gets tense. And uh, so while roughhousing with Millie tells her that Daddy loves her, roughhousing with Leona tells her that Daddy is a cruel sadist who cannot be trusted. <laughs> it's true. And so God's love for all people is equal, yes, but it's not generic. It's specific. And it's specific to who you are, and it's specific to me. And so when we go to show our love for people, whether that's our, our families, our, our church, our colleagues, friends, we got to show them a love they understand. If, we, if they don't get it, if they don't comprehend our actions as loving, we have to ask the question, do we really love them in the first place? And I understand that the implication is that every relationship in our lives then requires something different of us. And that's a lot of work. But it's so important if we're going to love people well. So the fancy sociological word for this is contextualization, uh, which has a very simple definition in the Western Silver Dictionary. It's just this making things make sense to people. Making things make sense to people. You got to understand people, though, before we can make things make sense to them. And so um, I want to walk through a story in the book of Acts today. You can get that out if you, if you have your Bibles. And we see in chapter 17, Paul in the city of Athens. And, and uh, he notices a disturbing trend. It says that Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what does he do? So he reasoned. So he reasoned on Facebook, and in the synagogue, with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happen to be there. Okay, what's Paul doing? He kind of walks in, he sees a problem, and he, he immediately thinks, I know what to do. I'll tell them why they're wrong. People love to know when they're wrong. 
And maybe that works in some places, but it doesn't work particularly well here because it goes on and he gets some pushback. It says in verse 18, a group of philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them even asked, what is this that we're trying to say? And then they pull him off to the side and they're like, okay, Paul, let's try this again, okay? Like, what is this new teaching you're presenting? Because you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. In other words, they don't fit in our worldview. But we want to know what they mean, so can you help us out? And I think this is so relatable to us as modern people, because today people are always going off on anybody who doesn't share their beliefs or their convictions. When the people they're going off on, they don't even have a context for those arguments, right? And I think that's what clicks kind of for Paul in this moment, is he seems to realize that the, uh, the approach of arguing and debating that he usually takes in the synagogue, it's not really having an effect here. And so he makes a brilliant course correction where he steps back, he takes a deep breath, and he, he just starts making some sense. And here's what he says. He says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, which is an accurate observation. It's also probably a complimentary one because, you know, like these guys, they loved, they, they loved ideas. They wanted to debate ideas and be seen as religious. And so Paul calls that out in them. Because for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, uh, in other words, I'm paying attention to what you give attention to, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. I think this is deeply contextualized, gospel-centric relationship. And I think Paul does three things here that we can do, uh, no matter who we're engaged with, no matter what worldview they may hold, but three things that will, that will open the door to relationship rather than slamming it shut. So really quickly, the first thing that Paul does is that he starts with genuine affirmation, right? I said a compliment. It's not rocket science. He just builds some positive sentiments. You know what that does for him? It gains him some trust. I think everybody in the world today could use a little more love, a little less attack maybe, so we got to start seeing the good in people. we got to be able to call that out. I, we, even someone you share nothing else in common with, it's still possible to see good in them. And then call it out. Affirmation is the seed from which trust will sprout. The second thing that Paul does is that he, uh, he shows off that he's got some, some big ears, right? He demonstrates that he's not just interested in talking and being heard, but that he's interested in getting to know them. And so the reason, I mean, let's face it, everybody today is so skeptical of each other, and I think it's because we all expect to get a sales pitch. We all expect to get a sermon. We all expect to get a scolding from everybody else. What we want is to be heard, right? And so as Jesus followers, we need to also have big ears. We need to be willing to listen, to learn, rather than just to respond. He does these two things, and only after having done those does he take his opportunity. He doesn't go, tick, tick, I check the boxes, all right, sit down, shut up, it's my turn to talk, listen, right? No, he, he takes the intel, and he brilliantly connects his message to their experience. And here's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, an altar to an unknown God, you're so wise to realize that you don't know everything. Truth must be so important to you. He, 
He stirs up this hunger that's inside of them, and he just he fills in the missing pieces that they're already hungering for. And in three sentences, he goes from being a potential ideological threat to being a comrade, all because he chose to make things make sense. And I think one of the tragedies that we see in our society over the last four years is we've gone from this place of my fellow Americans to every single one of you poses a threat to my way of life, right? And how can we have genuine community if that's our guiding approach to relationships? So I think we need to get back to building bridges. We need to be willing to sit with people, be present to them, listen to them, earn their trust, speak their language. Did you know you can speak the same language as someone and speak different languages? <laughs> we need to learn to to the languages of the people around us and what they're speaking, and then using that language and using what we've learned about them. Craft our message, craft the good news in a way that's customized to them and their experience, if we don't want to just keep babbling. And so uh, in our lives, uh, Allison and I are keenly aware that we are not love experts. We're not inclined towards perfect expressions of love in any way, but out of love, we are deeply committed to loving in appropriate ways. And so uh, for us, that just means that everything we do in Africa should be designed in partnership with Africans. Everything we do in Africa should, should be reproducible by Africans, which means it has to be done in the African way as opposed to the American way. It has to be affordable and accessible. And then it has to be based in the African expression of biblical principles. So I want to share a little bit about what we're doing in Malawi. Uh, and since it's Allison's birthday, I'll start with her primary focus, which is different than mine. Um, but I'll start with this sign, uh, <clears throat> which you'll have to forgive, because I took it as I was driving by at 120 kilometers an hour. But it's, if you can't read it, it's pointing to the side of the road, indicating the open defecation free zone. Okay, so uh, a zone that I find somewhat startling. Um, not so much in what it promotes, because I am all for that. Uh, but it made me think about all the other zones that I had been walking in. <laughs> and so you start checking the bottom of your shoes more often. But, but open defecation, I it's common in Malawi, right? Because why wouldn't it be? I mean, there's not public restrooms. And so when you got to go, you got to go. How can you blame people for that? The problem is, is that... Uh, Poverty has led to this lack of sanitation, and lack of sanitation leads to the spread of disease. Spread of disease uh, deepens poverty. And so it's a vicious cycle, and there's a lot of vicious cycles like this in poor societies. And another one of these uh, vicious cycles is, is food supply, food security. Malawi is a subsistence farming country, and, and that just means that everybody is growing their own stuff. They're going to grow what they need to feed their family for the coming year. The problem is, is that most people aren't able to grow enough. Because over the years, poor farming methods have been imported from abroad. They've been standardized across regions of Africa. And because they don't jive with the African soil and the climate, uh, they've proven to be very insufficient and inefficient, and people are going hungry. And so um, poverty has created this food scarcity. Food scarcity obviously creates hunger, and hunger deepens poverty. Again, another cycle. And my wife, Allison, she has this huge heart to see Malawians bring nutrition back into their families. She wants to see them bring transformation to their communities and Jesus into their relationships. And so over the past few years, she's uh, uh, really sought out a lot of 
training in sustainable agriculture models that are based in discipleship. And they're proven to increase crop yields and to provide for greater, for greater nutrition. Um, the thing we don't want to do is we don't want to import another failed pollutant. All right? There's been enough of that. And so these methods are not imported. They're, they were developed in Africa by Africans for Africa in cooperation with God and how he's created the earth. We only use means and materials that are available and abundant and accessible to everybody in society, especially the poorest of society, because it only makes sense if it makes sense to them. And so far, the results have been astonishing. I mean, in places where the foundations method is being used, uh, maize yields have been shown to increase by 800%. And so that creates this, actually this extra land that the farmers have that they can then use to grow a wider variety of produce for more well-rounded nutrition, or, and I suppose, they can grow extra maize that they can take to market, sell, and begin to generate an income that will help to dig their family out of poverty. And uh, so God has inspired us to start a demonstration farm on a plot of land near our house, and it's going to be a center where people can come and they can, they can learn the method, they can see the, the foundations method side by side with the traditional farming methods, and, and the differences are very stark. <clears throat> And they can be empowered with this, this knowledge, which they can take back and begin to implement in their communities. And as uh, they and their neighbors begin to see the blessing of increased crop yields, they're also coming to this understanding that God is calling them to work in harmony with him, uh, not just in their land practices, but in every aspect of their lives. So we're super excited uh, for, for what lies ahead. Um, this is... Allison's ministry, I realize that, but I just get goosebumps talking about it. It's a lot of fun to think about. So I want to switch gears for just a moment because uh, while Allison's doing all that, I get to have a slightly different focus, uh, which I think is nicely summed up by one of our local shopping malls. This is, um, you can throw that up there on the screen for me. There it is. All right. This is when nothing works anything goes shopping mall and i don't have any idea what they sell but what i know is that the sentiment is common okay because malawians for malawians life is is hard uh, economic opportunities don't come up every day and so if one happens to come along man anything goes which explains why the flip side of poverty is corruption it may not surprise you that that Africa experiences ridiculous levels of corruption, especially in positions of power and authority, and uh, the exploitation of the common man. I really think it's the sinister driving force behind every economic and social ill that the continent faces. And, and it stands in direct opposition to Jesus' mandate to love one another. I mean, it's sad. Corruption vandalizes the image of God in its victims. And so we feel obligated to do something about it, but... The question is what? You can't address corruption at the top with leaders who are already drunk on its fruit, right? So the question becomes, what if we can find leaders before they're leaders? What if we could introduce them to Jesus, disciple them into a transformed life that's modeled after Christ's compassion and mercy and self-sacrifice? And then maybe when they step into those inevitable positions of power, they would 
have this surgery already performed on their heart in which Jesus could be the one who guides their leadership and begin to heal a lot of the social ills that plague countries like Malawi and many others. So can we see the future? Can we know who the leaders are going to be before their leaders? And the answer is yes. In Malawi, you find them on the university campus because less than 1% of, of all Malawians will ever step foot on the university campus. It's created a huge leadership vacuum, and so much so that the few who graduate, they are just scooped up into positions of power and influence right from the get-go. And so the, the journey from entry level to authority becomes very short. And if you want to find the future leaders in Malawi, we know exactly where to look. And so what better place to plant dynamic discipleship communities than on university secular campuses? There's just so much potential to breathe justice and mercy into the future of a nation. So that's why I spend my time there pouring into students, uh, teaching them to pour into others, because we think that God wants to replace the cycle of corruption with a cycle of compassion. I have a friend named Gift. Uh, I have a picture up there on the screen. He's an amazing guy. Uh, he was orphaned as a little boy, uh, raised by his grandmother in abject poverty. I mean, really thinking poor. And uh, he told me that in seventh grade, the only thing he knew how to spell was his name. I was like, well, it's a good thing your name is Gift. It was short. But that's all he knew how to spell. And he recognized, you know, I don't know, like maybe I have an opportunity to change the direction of my life. And so he started pouring himself into his studies. And in a few short years, he went from being practically illiterate to being the top of his class. And he was able to win a scholarship to university and and he's going to graduate next year, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh, the thing about Gift is, like, in five years from now, he's going to be a who's who in some realm of society. He's going to have authority, and he's going to have people under his command. And he, he is a perfect opportunity, or a prime candidate, I should say, for continuing the oppressive legacy of corruption in his country. It would just take a little taste of the fruits of power to flip him from hopeful kid to self-serving biggie boss, as we say over there. But Gift now loves Jesus. During his years at university, he's been discipled and transformed, and, and God has tenderized his heart, and he has a desire to follow Christ, and uh, he even has a vision for giving back to the community that like kept him alive when he was a little boy who had lost his parents. And I know that when Gift steps into his destiny, he's going to lead from a place of compassion rather than corruption. But I don't think God is satisfied with one gift. I think he wants to see gifts multiplied on campuses across the nation. He wants to see them change the culture of leadership in their country. He wants to see powerful people learn to kneel in servanthood before Malawi's marginalized average citizens, people who will never, ever have the chance to taste power. And so if there's hope for Malawi, it rests in the hands of people like Gift. So he's the reason we're there. And another reason we're there is because of people like yourself. It really is amazing, but it's people here standing in solidarity with us way over there that just keep us going and allow it to happen. And uh, I think one of the, I mean, missions is great. It's not, I don't want to make it sound bad at all, but there's, there's an element of loneliness at times. I think one of the most encouraging things we hear is that uh, when we send out a newsletter via email or whatever and we get a response and somebody prays with us or they celebrate what God is doing 
in Malawi with us, it just it fills us up and, and God uses it to, to kind of refresh our hearts. And so if following us and uh, keeping up to date on what God's doing over there is something that interests you, we'd love to send you our newsletter. Uh, you can just grab one of these cards at our table. On the back, you can throw your email address and just leave it there on the table or hand it to us. And we'd be happy to get that to you. It would bless us to, to send it once a month. Um, but we also have some things you can take with you. Uh, we have prayer cards if you're a praying person, which I'm sure everybody is a praying person here at Marina Christian Center, right? So that should be easy. And then if you're hungry, is anyone hungry? No, everyone's afraid of being hungry. <laughs> okay. Okay, we have one hungry person. We brought an African delicacy for you to try today. We have roasted crickets out there. Okay. Has anyone tried one yet? Nice. Oh, the hungry person's tried one. Okay, perfect. Maybe that's why they're hungry. I don't know. So you can, you're welcome to help yourself to roasted crickets, um, but you're going to have to make it to the table quickly because my girls shovel them in like popcorn, okay? And so if they beat you to it, there won't be any left for you. So don't dilly and uh, get to the table. It's been awesome being with you here today. Uh, thank you for partnering with us, helping us contextualize uh, the gospel message to the Malawian context. We really couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Let me pray for you, and then I will be Heavenly Father, thank you for this community of faith uh, that is led so humbly. And I just see that humility uh, repeated and mirrored uh, time and time again throughout these, these wonderful people, God. And I thank you for what they are doing to impact places in every corner of the earth, God. And I pray that the culture of, of missions, participation, and awareness would just be something that continues to thrive well into the future. As, uh, as we see ourselves partaking in, in your mission, your rescue mission, God. But I also want to pray uh, for this community because I know that they're pouring their love into Enumclaw and surrounding areas as well. And so um, I just want to pray that you'd empower them, that you continue to immerse them in your Holy Spirit and that they would go out in boldness and incredible love as they seek to, to make the gospel something. Uh, the gospel already connects with everybody. It's just that they don't necessarily know how it's connected. And so let us be those messengers who help them to see how their lives are just primed to receive Jesus's love. So thank you, God, for calling us into something that is way bigger than us, um, but is, and it's, it's honestly, God, it's something that we don't have any right to stake claim to, but you have invited us to be part of your journey on this earth. And so thank you. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. Amen. Yeah, thanks. thanks you can feel their spirit and their heart in what they're doing, and those are missionaries we can be proud of. Would you stand with me, church, as we get ready to dismiss here in a moment? And, and let's remember this as we go. Our Bible tells us that God so loved the world. Think about that. Sometimes we think that it's the height of Christian faith to hate the world. The Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn it, but to save it. And when, when Christ enters your heart, when Jesus becomes your Lord, then you want to be part of that. 
And that's why all of our churches are part of sending our missionaries. So would you join me in praying for them this morning? Church, would you bow your heads? Father, we lift up the mission that you've called Weston and Allison to. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit on everything that they're doing. God, to transform agriculture so that people can eat. How close to your heart is that? God, to win young leaders to, to, to your gospel love and grace, to your truth. God, we pray that blessing as Weston works on the campuses. We pray that you would pour your spirit out on their kids and they become missionaries without ever planning to, God. And, and we thank you that we get to be part of, of supporting people like them. God, thank you for that privilege. We ask your blessing on them this morning. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. And, you know, just like it takes a whole bunch of people working behind the scenes to make a spring tea happen or a missions retreat or a men's conference or something like that, it's our serving behind the scenes that allows them to touch Africa. So thanks for letting us be part of that, Weston and Allison. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit friends go with you throughout this day. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.